The five-day work week was designed for an economy that relied mostly on physical labor. But does that framework need some updating for the knowledge economy? In other words, should we be moving toward a four-day work week? Yes. Five days is too long. <laughs> Nine hours? Get out of here. Plus commuting? Ugh. Welcome to Pullback, where we explore big new ideas and ask, is this a real solution or a distraction? Pullback is a proud member of the Harbinger Media Network of Progressive Canadian Podcasts. I'm Kyla Hewson, and I'm here with my co-host, Kristen Pugh. On today's episode, we talked to Dr. Dale Wheelahan, the CEO of a company called 4-Day Workweek Global. Um, and basically, they work with companies to develop 4-Day Workweek pilot programs. Prior to joining 4-Day Week Global, Dale did his PhD on fatigue and sleep deprivation in healthcare workers. Very important thing. <laughs> so he was a great person to talk to about why we're all so burnt out all the damn time. And one of the things I found really interesting from the episode was this idea that it actually is like more fatiguing for us to do cognitive and emotional labor, which I don't know, maybe it's like my internalized like sexism, but like I had never thought about that point before. But goddamn, I am much more tired after emotional labor than physical labor. <laughs> I'm tired just just sitting sitting at a desk all day. Like it sounds easy in theory, but if you have any energy at all, it like it just sucks it right out of you. And then it's harder to move later, and your back hurts, and my eyes are going bad. And I just there's no industry where a four-day work week wouldn't be better than a five-day work week. And not just four days that are 12 hours long either. Like four proper, <laughs> like give me seven hours. I honestly, a four or five hour days. Look, okay, if we're if we're daydreaming, I really want to work two days a week. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Actually, that is something that economists of like old timey periods thought we'd be doing by now, a 15-hour work week. Ah! Uh, no, still on the 40-hour work week. Boo. <laughs> All of our conversations so far this season have been amazing. So I feel like a broken record to say again that I loved this conversation, but I genuinely loved this conversation <laughs> and I know our listeners will too. Good news, everyone. We have a Patreon account <laughs> where you can you can support this. Good tiny, news for this, us, I guess. Good news for us. <laughs> when we get to 10 subscribers, I'm sending it real small. Uh, we'll send out a graffitied book uh, from one of our book clubs. And we're moving our book clubs to the Patreon. So we're going to be reading some books. And just it'll be a lot looser conversations of people who are here because you like the chemistry between Kristen and I. It'll be all that. and we're going to be uploading a couple of videos of us recording these intros. So if you want to see what our faces look like and you don't want to just <laughs> LinkedIn us, <laughs> get us on Patreon. Here we go. <laughs> so Dale, thank you so much for joining us. Wondering just to get started, can you talk a little bit about the idea of a four-day work week and where it came from, why it's such a good idea? Yeah, absolutely. And first of all, thank you for having me on on your podcast as well. The to, In order to understand the four day week, we need to actually go back a few hundred years in order to understand the the world of work and where we were at the beginning and where we are now. And I suppose when you look back at pre-industrial era times, it was quite normal actually to work a seven day week. We lived in a largely agrarian culture where people were producing means in order to fill their own needs. And people, therefore, probably worked quite long days, albeit not hugely intensive days. That intensity probably spread out across a longer period of time. There weren't, I suppose, any management or control mechanisms within work. People 
did work how they wanted to do work and they decided how much work they wanted to do in any given day. With the Industrial Revolution, then we saw, you know, the separation of the worker from the the means and, and that meant, I suppose, that there was this mass production of material that didn't necessarily ultimately benefit the individual. So that's where the idea of remuneration and salary and, you know, paying people for their efforts started to come to the forefront. And with that, then we started to see more control mechanisms and management leaderships kind of theories emerge around how do you get people to work as hard and as effectively in a period of time. And the first and the most influential theory was that of a guy called Frederick Taylor, who formed what we call scientific management and Taylorism. And he essentially was looking at how can I get as much work out of these people without causing error and therefore actually, you know, diminishing my returns. And that's where we started to see the beginning of, you know, the reduction of working weeks down to that of a five day week. Couple that with the fact that you had a trade union movement emerging globally, which was advocating for workers' rights. You had evangelists like Henry Ford, who was bringing in the five day week in Ford. And so gradually you, you had this idea of a five day week becoming normalized as part of conversation. Fast forward, we had Richard Nixon and we had, you know, these famous uh, leaders back in the 70s, 80s and the great promise of technology and how it was actually going to reduce working hours because it would offset some of that repetitive laborsome work that we were doing. Instead, what happened was that the 2000s came and the emergence of technology, we saw a huge spike in productivity and workers' hours remained largely stagnant. I think what we are now is facing the consequences of not adapting our world of work to the type of work that we are doing. In the 1900s, in the industrial era, work was largely laborsome. Um, it was very physical. There wasn't necessarily a huge amount of cognition and, and emotion required within work, whereas now we are a an emotionally led workforce, you know, customer is king and therefore you must play on the emotional needs of your customer in order to, you know, drive sales or whatever it is your business is doing. And that means that we do a lot more thinking and a lot more feeling as opposed to necessarily doing physical work. And our brains are not able to withstand that same level of attention or effort as our bodies are. And that's where we have this mismatch between long working hours modeled off a physical work kind of structure to now a very cognitive work which is uh, not able to cope with the amount of hours that is being required of it and that's where we're seeing burnout level rises so the idea of the five-day week is is arbitrary now in modern work there is no science to say that the 40-hour work week is optimal for uh, human performance And so we are essentially testing that assumption through the reduction of working hour methodology founded from a lot of other very basic science which says that it's not how much you work, it's what work you get done within a certain time frame. And we have been seeing some very promising results through that uh, reduction in working hour trials globally. Yeah, for sure. So um, as you had sort of alluded to, um, your organization, Four Day Week Global, helps companies to pilot four day work weeks. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about sort of how those pilots work and what your findings have been so far. Yeah, so we, we've been running pilot studies across the globe. So we have currently pilots running in six continents. And what we're really interested in understanding is when you do this very simple shift in reducing working hours within an organization, what is the ripple effect that that has 
honest people, on teams, on businesses, and on society. And we understand that that needs to look different in different sectors and in different cultures as well. So a four-day week in Sweden is going to look very different to a four-day week in New York. And we want to understand those nuances and those differences. But what we have been finding as generalizable findings across the globe is that when you reduce working hours, people, first of all, they don't report a significant intensity in the work, which is one of the concerns that people have about a four-day week, is that you're cramming everything into a shorter amount of time. What we're finding is that people are actually taking a step back, looking upstream and seeing why the bodies are falling in in the first place and actually addressing issues at the root cause instead of these sort of reactive interventions um, to people's issues. And that means that people are redesigning meetings, they're redesigning technology processes and designing culture and leadership in a way that drives high performance in order to achieve the very important work that is needed to drive business outcomes. And that also means, as writers would say, killing your darlings. So getting rid of stuff that you might have invested a lot of time in, but actually isn't leading to a huge return of investment for you, your people or your company. At its very fundamental level, when companies are embarking on a four-day week, they are radically transforming their mindset around how the world of work actually operates and realizing that you should be focusing on output instead of time as the metric of productivity of your organization. So people tend to feel quite good when they actually when those when that new change is happening in their organizations, because if you think about it, when the the parameters in which work can be done are endless. People find things to fill that time with. So they will fill it with longer meetings. They'll, you know, do a meeting about a meeting about a meeting about a meeting. And no one actually wants that. I don't know why we do it, but instead of actually just doing the work there and then. So people feel better in their work. Outside of work, then obviously people are getting more time off. So they're actually able to pursue hobbies and interests and connect with people that matter with them more, which is having a transference effect. Then when they return to work, they feel more recovered and they're able to engage more in their work. One of the key differences in a four-day week intervention is that you often have to move away from a very individualized form of work, albeit that's important, deep flow focused work for key tasks is important, but actually realize the power that teamwork plays in exponential performance growth of your organization. So really heavily investing in that. I think when you make those grassroots changes, then you see organizational leaders reporting improved productivity of their business. And then couple that with the fact that all of our findings to date are suggesting that those reporting on revenue are seeing an increase in profit through the implementation of a four-day week trial. What particularly interests me and us being, I suppose, at the leader, the leading forefront of the production of this type of knowledge is that businesses play a very unique role in influencing our society. It's no longer just government businesses are going to create a more sustainable world or a more unsustainable world, similarly with equality. And we have been looking at what some of that might look like on society. And what we see is that people doing a four-day week commute 36 minutes per week per person less. When you exponentially rise that up to a population level, that's huge from a carbon emission reduction point of view. Women disproportionately benefit not just in work from a four-day week, but also from outside of work because their male counterparts, um, and particularly male partners, if, if they have a partner, if they have kids, for example, are taking on a greater responsibility when it comes to parenting. So we have seen that throughout the trial, double, double the time of men parenting throughout the trial from the baseline to the end. So we've only really scratched the surface on some of these bigger questions. And I'm really excited to see 
you know, over the next few years, how the world of work will play a very influential role in changing our world. Oh, yes. I love this topic. I just, I don't know. I'd bite Kristen's arm off for a four-day work week. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, it just feels like everything is still based on, I mean, gosh, the five-day work week is from before women were even like allowed to work in a lot of places. And so the whole idea is like, oh, you have someone at home to like look after the house and like make meals and stuff. And now like so many people are alone and <laughs> it's just like, it's so hard to, we're all expected to do everything. And it's just too much. It's too much, man. So <laughs> true though. And to be honest, I realized this well before doing the four-day week work that I do now. My own PhD was on sleep deprivation and fatigue in surgeons. And one of the very, I suppose, growing assumptions within surgery is that people are only sleep deprived because they do 24-hour on-call work and that it is all to do with working hours. But actually, what I noticed throughout my PhD, and look, surgery is a very patriarchal profession, like probably the, the most dominant patriarchy within the healthcare systems including my own surrounding of my research was around, you know, traditionally male, middle-class researchers. And inignorable throughout the parts of my research was that actually female surgeons were experiencing a different type of fatigue and sleep deprivation relative to their male peers. And what, over my entire 45-minute viva of my defense, we spent 35 minutes talking about how women experience higher levels of fatigue and sleep deprivation because not only do they have to be better than their male colleagues, they also still have the burden of responsibilities at home that many of their male colleagues don't have because they might have someone at home who can look after kids or do whatever it is. So the world of work is definitely not equal. And I think that this is bold of me to say, but I think policies around part-time work are under the guise of being equitable but in a world where we're trying to say, well, you should be rewarded for your outcomes, not the amount of time that you can dedicate to this organization and remunerate for that in that way, then I think you would have an honest look and say that for people who are working part time, who are predominantly women and producing the same level, level of output and are getting paid less than those working full time, it's not that equitable of a policy, really, is it? Yeah. And that sort of um, leads me to another question that I had. So as you're sort of implying, implementing a four-day work week, it seems at least to me that it's not just about changing the schedule, it's also sort of changing how companies run. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about like what that looks like in practice um, and, and maybe some different ways that companies have gone about it. Yeah, I mean, it's really easy to just change, you know, implement a standard operating procedure or a new policy or protocol, but we know that doesn't actually necessarily lead to change within organizations. In fact, many, most change interventions fail because they fail to consider the important role that stakeholder buy-in and culture and leadership play in actually realizing the effectiveness of that change. So I think why a 40 week works is because we use this 180-100 principle, which is we founded um, when we trialed it on our own founder's company which was 100% pay for 80% time for 100% output. And so that equation allows something of benefit for the employee because they're being guaranteed 20% time off in return for 100% output and knowing that they can achieve that. But similarly, the employer is safeguarded in a way that says, well, you're getting the same level of output. So therefore, you should be happy. 
in that regard. And how organizations have adapted that then will depend on their business needs. So people think a four-day week, they think Monday to Thursday, close Friday, or vice, you know, maybe close Monday, uh, open Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And while by and large that has been the dominant approach by organizations, we have seen that doesn't necessarily land with certain industries where you might have continuous service provision, you might need someone available at all times. Take healthcare, for example, you need continuity of patient care 24 hours, 365. And so organizations have had to say, well, how can we reduce working hours, still save money and look at it at a bit more macro level? And I always use healthcare because it is the most complex example. And the Icelandic government brought in a reduced working schedule for all of their healthcare staff in the public sector. And what they found was, yes, we had to hire more staff in order to offset that cost of time loss. But we were actually able to save more in the medium and longer term because we were reducing our reliancy on agency staff, which cost us more. We also were able to see a reduction in burnout. We were able to see reduction in sick days, absenteeism, staff retention, staff recruitment, all of these things that actually are hidden costs for organizations. Once they quantify the costs of them and then equate them with, you know, what is the cost to hire an additional amount of staff, they find that, okay, this actually might work. And what I think is happening is that we're creating a more minimum viable staffing structure in in many organizations, which is, you know, they're, they're seeing the benefits of actually of that for the first time. Of like having enough people to like do a job and not have everyone be just drowning all the time. Healthcare especially, like my goodness, just the idea of having enough staff, it sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, I know. And you, even, you know, in Canadian healthcare, you guys are stealing our healthcare workers. Like healthcare is a really nice example because it's it's a global issue. So like it speaks to a much deeper problematic issue of equality, I think, where you see Ireland recruiting people from the Middle East. You see Irish doctors then leaving to go to Australia or to Canada. And actually then, well, who's left in the countries where there is no one left, you know? And only rich countries end up benefiting in the longer term then from that sort of approach. And we're, you know, royally screwed if we don't have healthcare systems that work. So I always think that's a nice example to showcase. But other examples then is is saying, well, we can have some of our staff working Monday to Thursday, some working Tuesday to Friday. So we can actually continue with the current staffing structure, but just make it a bit more skeletal on two days a week. And other ones then might say, okay, well, we actually need some of our staff in full time for a few weeks, particularly during peaks in our workload. But during the troughs, we will complement that with an offset of, of time. So full time this week and next week and then more time off the week after and the week after. So over a period of time, it actually balances out. And I think that is why we're seeing this movement grow because we're seeing these innovators within all these fields trying to address this issue of burnout. And that is what I think anyone who's smart about business would realize the real financial cost of not investing in staff performance and those who are are doing the hard work around a four-day week now, and I think will continue to thrive in the next few years. Sure, yeah. And I mean, the, the pilot programs that, that you folks have run, they've got really high satisfaction rates from both employees and the companies that participate. And I'm wondering, like, do you find that there's often skepticism sort of at the start and then companies buy in at the end? Or, or are they generally sort of on board from the start? 
Well, I think the companies who sign up for our pilot have undergone a huge journey themselves already to get to the point of saying we're willing to commit to this pilot and give it a go. And I think the ones who then come in realize that this is a pilot, this is an experiment for your organization. Albeit we have safeguards around it to protect the experiment from going completely off the rails and and providing you with the right guidance and support throughout. But you do need to go in with a certain level of rugged flexibility into the intervention to say, here's what we think might work. But we also need to be willing to adapt if it's not working within the first few weeks. I would say that organizations go through the same change journey that organizations always go through. There's initially a very, you know, super excited motivation and then reality kicks in and say, oh God, we actually have to do some serious thinking and redesign now of our work. But then once they start experimenting with those small changes, they start realizing, okay, what we didn't think was possible has become possible. And so they they build on that motivation and therefore they've gone from having a more fixed mindset about how the world of work is and always has been to being what the world of work can be once they make that transition in their mind i think they're they're in a very very good place yeah and that that goes back to something that you were saying sort of near the beginning that you found when the work week was reduced employees were less tired and so they were working more on sort of proactive solutions and things like that um, i'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about sort of that and maybe some examples that come to mind yeah, well, I'm sorry, I'm going to go real academic on you now because I'm a real <laughs> like this, but I draw a lot on the, the fact that we have psychological needs, right? So the same way that we have physiological needs around sleeping and eating and shelter, we have three needs psychologically that need to be fulfilled in order to make us motivated. And they are, we need a sense of autonomy in our lives. So we need to feel that we have volition uh, over our behaviors in work and outside of work. We need to feel that we're competent. We feel good. We need to feel like we're, the work that we're doing is good. And that's both within work, but also outside of work. So I'm a good parent. I'm a good friend. I'm a good you know, husband. And lastly, connectedness or relatedness. So I need to feel like I am part of a bigger movement of people. And you know, I can really connect with people on a, on a human level. And that's both within work and outside of work as well. So I need to feel like I can connect with my family, with my community and all of those sort of things. I think with a four-day week, the transition to organizations go actually help facilitate the fulfillment of those needs in workplaces because you are putting more trust in your employees. A four-day week works best because it's actually bottom-led, bottom-up-led. So while management might enable and say, this is what we're going to be doing, it's up to uh, middle management and you know non-management to decide how it's best going to work within their functions. So already that's creating self-autonomous teams. The second is competency. So we're saying to organizations, well, you can't now work for endless amounts of hours. You can you can only work for this amount of hours. So therefore, you need to be very structured in your week to say, what are the key activities I need to do in order to make whatever outcome? And when those lines in the playing field are much clearer, people then know where the goalposts are. They know how to achieve those goals. So they feel good when they achieve them. They're also the feedback around achievement of goals becomes much clearer as well. And then lastly, relatedness. I think the fact that people are know that they're contributing to a really, you know, powerful movement around a four-day week, they suddenly start feeling a lot more connected with their colleagues. Instead of viewing colleagues as competition, they realize that actually we both mutually benefit from this if we work better together. But more importantly then, and what has been lacking in the, in the world of work is actually giving people time off to fulfill those needs outside of work. So you know, people complain about long working hours and not feeling like a good parent or a good, you know, spouse. 
not having any control over their time to pursue activities that they have an interest in so no autonomy and you know not feeling connected to the people that they want to feel connected to so i think that's what the fundamental shift that we see and that's where we see this fuel and building of intrinsic motivation to actually make this work because everyone wins in the in the process um, and maybe drives like why the, the satisfaction rates that you find are so high. To what extent, a lot of the companies at the end of the pilot say they're going to go forward with a four-day work week, um, but do you follow up with them? Do you know how many have? Uh- <laughs> yeah, so we've just released our 12-month findings from our first cohort who went through the six-month process. And they included companies from Canada, from the US, from Ireland, uh, and a small amount from the, the UK. And all of them have continued on with the the four-day week. Um, What I think has been really interesting to observe is that organizations might not get down to 32 hours straight away. And that's okay, as long as they're on the journey to that reduction in working time. And that is what we've seen across the six-month pilot. And we have seen continue on in the 12-month pilot, gradual reduction in working hours on a sample size as a whole. And you couple that then with the fact that people's performance has either still been maintained or improved upon. So one of the concerns that, you know, researchers would say is that, well, of course, it's going to work in a six month period. There's something like the Hawthorne effect. People know they're being observed, so they're going to do good work. And they kind of use that as like a silver dagger. But in fact, that's what we're trying to do in the first place. We're trying to make people motivated to make this work. Why is that a bad thing? What I think is is important to realize is that motivation continues on the six month pilot and when people aren't being as observed as much. I think that's because people have accepted into the new norm and realizing that this is actually really powerful. Beyond that, then, I think the one area where we saw a gradual reduction in benefit would be actual burnout. So we saw across a 12-month pilot a rapid decrease reporting in burnout at the six-month mark and then a slight increase at the 12-month mark. Still lower, significantly lower than the baseline, But I think it speaks to the fact that a four-day week alone is not the entire intervention that's going to solve issues of burnout within the workforce. It can certainly move the dial a lot, but there are many issues around control, autonomy, reward, respect within workplaces that need to be also factored in if we want to really reduce issues of burnout within work. And that's why I think four-day week is a brilliant intervention, but needs to be intertwined with a much more you know comprehensive work package around high performance leadership and culture so it can have a lot of benefits but it can't solve every single workplace problem if managers don't do other things too (laughs) that makes sense (laughs) i would be so productive on a four-day work week but i think another intervention that a lot of places that could implement maybe not healthcare entirely but like uh remote working i i know that a lot of places have gone back to in office when like I mean, my job could easily be done completely remotely, but we all have to work in the office. And it's like, yo, like, give me a four-day work week where I work from home one day a week. Yeah. <laughs> I think the return to office mandate by many organizations, I, I don't really understand it. Um, I think that a lot of it is being driven for commercial reasons. I think there's commercial property and real estate within many cities that organizations are stuck into long-term leases. So therefore, they want to use that property. But I don't think that there has been a lot of evidence to say that this return to office mandate is actually improving company culture or company productivity. And I know Professor Nick Bloom in Stanford or Harvard, he's doing a huge project on remote work and and flexible work at the moment and basically finding that 
this return to office mandate is not, it's not at all as cracked up to be. When you give people flexibility and you give people control over their work, they thrive a lot more than when you force them to be places. But I do think that there is a conversation to be had around four day a week, coupled with hybrid and remote working and flexible working. And maybe it's a trade off within organizations between leaders and non leaders or non management to say, well, we want you in the office one day a week and in return, you can you know, only work a four day week. And I think their conversations we're going to see a lot more of in the next 12 months. I'm wondering, like, in terms of, so like the pilots, I think are really good in terms of establishing company practice and getting an evidence base. Um, But is the next step like legislation? um, And are there any countries that are moving forward with it or cities or anything like that? Yeah, I think that's what, you know, it really excites me as part of this, because this time last year, we had no data on a four day week. Um, we had no pilot studies, we had nothing. The pilot studies only started to be released in November, which was the Irish cohort. And obviously then we had the UK and we've had US and soon we'll have South Africa and we've had Australasia. The rapid rate of this conversation shows me that like anything is possible. We've seen legislative proposals within the House of Representatives in the US through Congressman Mark Ticano's 32-hour work act bill. We've seen Senator Bernie Sanders talk a lot about this in the media, with, I presume, plans to bring this up within the Senate. I'm actually meeting with uh, a senator in the Republican Party in the coming week, which is showing this has potential bipartisan interest. Be one of the rare pieces of legislation these days. (laughs) Yeah, who knew? And we are certainly seeing pilot studies then being considered by national governments on both private and public sectors. We've partnered with the Portuguese government on the first nationally sponsored pilot program on Portuguese companies. The Scottish government currently have a proposal out for a national public sector trial with Belgium to follow suit in the next year. And I think we are seeing this being brought from now many angles, private leaders, you know, driving the conversation, trade unions making this part of the negotiations, political leaders getting wind and bringing, you know, legislative debates on the topic. and. That is very exciting for something that is, as an idea, the genesis of has really been quite short. I'm wondering like for, you know, at a company level or for like individual employees, people like Kyla who would chew off an arm for a four day work week, <laughs> um, what would you suggest as next steps? <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, um, there are plenty of people like Kaya. And I think what all the data is, is showing us is that a majority of people in this world who've been surveyed on whether they want a 40 a week say yes they do so we need to be able to harness I suppose that collective energy in a way and and make it productive what we're trying to do is create a million new years of free time in 40 a week global so we realize the power that our I suppose machine has created in, in generating noise and media and attention and you know all of that I think we are seeing more and more pressure from business leaders to adapt so we are seeing large organizations now implementing this quietly within their own organizations um so we're going to see a lot of the a lot more bigger names come out in the next year saying we're leading the way on a four-day week and we're a multinational company which will put pressure on ripple effects on other parts of organizations small medium enterprises are probably the ones who can shoot quickest on this because they are you know this, this is a unique value proposition for them that maybe larger organizations might not be able to move as quick on so that is something to consider but I think you need to make the business case for leaders. You know, as a CEO, I'm particularly interested in, well, how do I make sure that this leads to sustainability of my company? And when we actually present the data in a way that says, 
you can save money by doing something like this. So if you invest 200,000 to get this trial right and you have a you know, staff leave is costing 300,000 and we see a reduction in staff leave or sick leave by, you know, 60%, which is what our data is suggesting. We suddenly are making up that money and we're also seeing all the other benefits in other spaces. So being able to equate some of that data into economic terms, I think, is a way to, to speak to business leaders about it. I'll, I'll prepare my presentation. <laughs> we're here to help. Ask the question of your organization, what does productivity look like for us? And I think you will find a lot of leaders will scratch their heads and not have an answer to that. And that's despite the fact that they say we can't implement a four-day week because it will reduce productivity. So already they find themselves, I suppose, in this two mindset and saying, well, it's going to reduce productivity, but we don't know what productivity is. So that might be the first, I suppose, element understand what productivity is, the key activities that we're trying to achieve to align to business outcomes or to a strategic outcome for the organization. And then track backwards from that and then experiment thereafter and say, can we up these true reduction in working hours or increase flexibility or working from home? And what the, what the discipline of management was founded on was to try and bring a more evidence-based to the world of business, which is often case not very evidence-based. For sure. And it really sounds like the pilots are generating strong evidence for the four-day work week. And it's it was really exciting to hear um, of all the sort of legislative initiatives that you've been interacting with lately. So that's fantastic. Yeah. And I think the conversation has changed a lot in the last year as well. We've had business leaders this time last year saying this will never work. And now we have business leaders saying this will never work in my in, in my business because instead of saying it can't work in our sector. So, because we have case studies now to showcase, well, you can do this in tourism, in healthcare, in manufacturing. So it, the business case becomes harder for leaders to actually refute the evidence against. And I think that's quite exciting. We were also named in Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential Companies of 2023. We were in Forbes Future of Work 50. So this conversation is not going away anytime soon. If we have these, you know, huge internationally acclaimed media saying this is what the world of work is, you can guarantee it will continue to be that way for a long time. Just be the first, be innovative. I mean, first of all, what a way <laughs> to like staff retention and to, uh, like just draw in applicants that are top tier. <laughs> be the first in your industry to implement this and and poach everybody who rules from other companies. <laughs> totally. If you're going to like, there's many selfish reasons why you would do a four-day week as well. And it is for that unique employee value proposition. And I think we only need to look at like the world of high performers and realize that how many of them burn out is because they continue to work and work and work until such point that they're 27, 28, you know, when they exit the workforce or, or, you know, whatever it is. And I think we can show them that we value what you can provide. We want to hire you and we will create a work environment that gets the most out of you, but also respects your own well-being. And I think that is, that's so attractive, you know, to, to high performers. Yeah. I mean, I've known so many, I mean, speaking as one of uh, a high performing employee, especially in my twenties now. I, you're in your burnout phase now. <laughs> yeah. I'm in my burnout phase where I'm like, y'all, like I, you guys would get so much more out of me if I was like enthusiastic about like 
just not burning. Like, yeah, just five days for eight and a half hours at a, And if you're doing desk work, that's it's brutal. It's bad. It's bad for your back. Like, I'm not getting the exercise that I need in a week. Like, I need so much exercise. I'm like a puppy. Like, I just <laughs> if I'm not on my feet, I'm miserable. So, like, I'm sure depression rates would go down. And it's just speaking as somebody who just it like I I do not thrive at a desk but I do really good work in Excel like get out of here <laughs> but totally like I'd start comparing the worker to that of an elite athlete and say you know how do we ramp them up for peak performance and then how do we allow them to ramp down for optimal recovery so when we start to feel like we're getting an injury how do we pause manage that injury rest them up and then you know get them ready to go when they're ready to go I think you're you're totally right the 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 40 hour work week and the cognitive burden that that creates on us is just not working. Like there is no one out there who says it is working. Gallup consistently reports in their surveys every year about 10 to 12% of Western countries are engaged in their work, which is abysmal. (laughs) We have so much opportunity to increase that number and see an increase, you know, return of investment for businesses. I think you just need to be able to take risk in, in trying something like this. Especially since it sounds like it's not even very much of a risk. Like if like literally everybody that has trialed this has found it has improved like productivity and it's it's not even a risk. Just do it. <laughs> well, I think my point, and even if companies don't continue on with the trial, I'll be a most of them do. The reality is that you will end up somewhere better than where you started because you will have actually started to look inward and see what's not working in your organization. And I think that alone is good for for leaders and for staff. Yeah, I mean, you were talking about starting with that question of what does productivity mean for us and how many companies don't have an answer for that. So (laughs) that at least seems like a very valuable question to ask. I I like to lend people my magic wand. I should get like an actual one that I can like show on the camera. Uh, But I like to lend people my magic wand. I'm like, okay, you can solve all like overnight, you have this wand, you can make everything come true for the work that you're doing right now. Like, what does that look like if tomorrow everything was exactly where you and your company uh, would like it to be? Great question. I think for me, the future of work needs to be a lot more human. That sounds so corporate of me. But the, what, I'm, what essentially I mean is that we've become so disconnected from each other. And COVID didn't help in the fact that it made us all so isolated for so long. But actually, we have, for for many years before that, been losing the ability to actually connect with each other and work with each other and, you know, value each other as human beings and not just colleagues and workers. I think the conversation in 10 years time is not going to be flexible or hybrid or for, I think they're actually going to be a given uh, with the rapid rate of which we're seeing these policies. The conversation is actually going to be on what type of culture and leadership your organization has and how much that organization embraces vulnerability about talking about the human side of work. You know, I have been through periods of up burnout myself. I've had crippling anxiety. I've had perfectionism take over my life. And that is the reality of what the world of work has created for many of us and the culture around work that we must constantly strive for perfection and better and more. And I think we need to be having a lot more of an honest conversation with ourselves and saying, is this doing anyone any good? And I want us to be able to move beyond a window shopping wellness culture of saying, we look after your well-being and your health and actually say, we are addressing the deep systemic 
issues that are causing people to feel this this way in the first place. So we're not doing yoga at lunch. We're not doing pizza after work, which are all nice things, but we're actually addressing why people are feeling shit in their work in the first place. And I think that would be a really powerful change in the world of leadership and culture in the world of work in the next 10 years. Oh man, pizza after work, it just exacerbates the issue, which is like, I already don't have time to do my laundry and now I have to spend more time with my colleagues to like feel better about how overworked we are. How is that solution? (laughs) Yeah, I think it's about leveraging culture to actually improve people's well-being instead of leveraging culture to get people more cultified into the business. And I think that you can actually... You can achieve both of those things at the same time if you if you really wanted to. Like, it is not bad that people, you know, want, like working where they're working because their work does these cool things, but that shouldn't be the be-all and end-all. You know, I think that Gen Z will move with their feet a lot more than any other generation and they will look at issues of culture and toxic behavior and leadership and say, I'm not doing it, I'm not dealing with it. I think our generation had to comply because... We didn't have technology to look outwards and see other opportunities or other potentials. We didn't have Glassdoor or other recruitment sites to get an insight as to what the organization looked like before we were actually in it. We also were sold a pipeline dream of the American dream that if you work hard, you will be rewarded for that. We weren't guaranteed that anymore. You know, I think we, we've played a fool. Ireland and Canada both <laughs> was facing huge cost of living crises and housing crises. So I think Gen Z are looking at us and saying, okay, well, I'm not going down that path and damn right to them, you know? Yeah, yeah. If I'm going to be poor anyways, at least I don't have to give my entire life away to a company that doesn't care about me, right? Like, it's just this attitude that, I don't know, we're seeing it with the writer's strike and the uh, American, is it the auto workers that were on strike or still are? I love that we're getting this wave of like worker solidarity right in the aftermath of chat GPT and these large like AI learning models coming online and everyone suddenly being like, oh, it's going to make it so that we don't have to use people for art anymore. And everyone's like, no, no, no. (laughs) So I love that like this more human centric idea is starting to take like, because it's like, okay, these are great, but like people matter. (laughs) And people don't get happiness without human connection like that is we we can we can reduce the workforce by 50 percent and bring in ai and it is going to annoy people people as much as yeah people frustrate each other in the world of work we also need each other in the world of work we're social creatures like people don't live isolated lives albeit some monks but like we will need to craft a world in which we all are reconnecting with each other if ai takes away this you know 30 to 50 percent of jobs in the future of work And yeah, I think it's about time we started having that conversation now. What can humans bring that AI can't? And that's human connection. Thank you so much for talking to us about this. We're we're super jazzed about it. I mean, it's it's just, it's good for the planet if you're only caring about that, which a lot of our listeners, I think, are. (laughs) Like, it's just commuting time alone like if if everyone on the planet is saving 36 minutes like of commuting time think about the carbon emissions from just that alone what we find as well was that when people are doing a four-day week they are engaging more pro-sustainable behaviors as well so and that feeds into a theory in kind of sociology and psychology that sustainable well-being leads to sustainable behaviors leads to a sustainable world so Kel's surprise when people are time affluent they tend to do good things for um, the world and for people around them. When people are time poor, they tend to do selfish things. 
we tend to operate currently in a time poor society and look at how it's going for us in the environment. I think the world of work and time and the role that that plays in creating a sustainable world is going to be of huge interest over the next you know few years. Well, yeah, I mean, just think about like, I, gosh, I eat out so often just because I do not have the capacity to cook meals for myself. And just think about like the single use packaging and like, I don't know, there's just so much stuff that like I would be way more sustainable on if I wasn't so time poor. So that's such a, that's such a good point. Thank you for bringing that up right at the end. I'm glad that we touched on that because it's a huge part of it that I'm sure, yeah, people will be talking about for years to come as the climate crisis becomes more top of mind for more people. So on that lovely note. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. I really enjoyed this conversation. And uh, yeah, I will keep in touch for sure, especially if I'm going to be petitioning my own workplace. (laughs) It's been a pleasure and I really enjoyed this conversation. And feel free to spread the message to Canadian people. And if they are interested to reach out to us at 40 Week Global, we're trying to create a million new years of free time and we can't do that alone. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us and uh, for... It's, it's so important to build an evidence base for this stuff. So uh, good luck with all the work that you're doing. Thank you both. Have a good day. <laughs>